0: Hey, Acquired listeners, we have a big announcement today. We're launching a bonus show. For $5 a month, you can become what we're calling a limited partner and get access to it.
1: And for those of you who know or are Googling the term limited partner, we hope you like our creativity on the name.
0: (laughs) We're excited to use this new format to cover all sorts of things that don't fit into our normal episode format and dive deeper into a lot of company building topics. Our first LP bonus show is on the jargon of what venture capitalists say and when words don't just mean what the dictionary says they mean. We've covered some great ones, including sideways, credible, and I know this is David's favorite, not raising right now. Always a fan favorite.
1: (laughs) Uh, So we are super excited about this, not only because it'll give us an avenue for creating more types of episodes, which we've been wanting to do for a long time um but because it'll give you guys a way to support the show and help make it even better so to date on acquired we've plowed every dollar we've ever made right back into the show better equipment software ads travel etc and we're going to continue to do the same here which we think will really take things to the next level
0: if you'd like to become an Acquired Limited partner, you can click the link in the show notes of your podcast player of choice, or go to kimberlite.fm slash acquired. That's kimberlit dot F-M slash acquired. And with that, on to the main show. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of Acquired, the show about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today we are doing another oft-requested episode, the Venmo acquisition, first by Braintree, and then shortly thereafter by PayPal. We've been waiting until just the right circumstances, which we finally had. The show you'll hear on this episode was recorded at our very first live show in San Francisco this week with special guest Andrew Cortina, the co-founder of Venmo. Now, we had some AV issues at the live show, and very long story short, the only recording that we have of the show is from an iPhone that was placed on the table in front of us. We sincerely apologize for the audio quality. We know it's not quite acquired standards of the episode, um, but we decided that the, the content in the interview with Cortina was just way too good not to, not to release to everyone. So, who is Andrew Cortina? Cortina is a consummate entrepreneur. As you'll hear on this episode, his constant stream of startup ideas and passion for nailing the experience led him to start countless projects from Filafunk to Venmo, both of which we will get into today. To give you a sense of his varied talents, he started his college experience as a CS major at Penn, but after feeling (laughs) that he could learn more programming outside the classroom than in, he switched majors and ended up graduating with majors in philosophy and creative writing and minors in computer science and logic. He has since gone on, after Venmo, to found Finn with Sam Lesson, which we will talk about later on this show. So uh, get excited to hear Andrew Cortina. All right, well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes, when we had VJ on ACQ2
1: earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild.
0: This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes, so I asked them for some fun stats in the past month,
1: Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But, I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh-and-blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is
0: just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the Visa numbers, I just pulled up my Visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the... Customer side, Statsig added arguably almost
1: all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and Friends of the Show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse-native experimentation, and product analytics.
0: Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white-glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. All right. Now on to the live version of David with the history and facts. So, David... You want to take us in? <laughs> yes. So,
1: Andrew, you went to Penn for undergrad, and uh, your freshman roommate turned out to be very faithful in your life. What was, your, what was your, the first time you met Vikram when, when you moved into Penn?
2: I was at school like a week early because I was like one of the IT like support desk people. And there was, like, our training for, you know, that team or whatever. So I was there a week early and, like, kind of already, like, out drinking and partying every night. And so when I first met Icarim, I was, like, hungover asleep at, like, 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And he rolled into our room with his whole family (laughs) Um, with, like, this van full of people and, like, all this shit (laughs) and there's like... I like a tennis racket stringer and just all this crazy stuff. that like, why would you possibly have this in a 10 foot by 10 foot dorm room? Um, and just like a, a caravan of people. And I was there to kind of just with my computer. And I was like, all right, uh, I'll let you guys kind of like move in and do your thing. I'm going to go like hang out at the gym or something. And then I remember we went to Kmart to like get shit for our room. Like, you know, s- supplies and stuff. And, uh, we, like, I'm, I don't like shopping, uh, and so, like, I was like, okay, like, I'll get, like, a refrigerator, like, you get a microwave or something, and I remember we were there for, like, I don't know, like, three hours at Kmart, I was like, what the fuck are we doing at Kmart for, like, three (laughs) hours here, and that, that comes towards the end, I was like, you know, I'll I'll just, like, take this mini fridge on the subway back, it'll be fine, and they're like, no, like, it's, it's cool, like, we're about ready, you shouldn't have to carry that on the subway. Uh, yeah, anyway. So
0: that was like, kind of like mine. <laughs> All right. Well, great question, David. Uh, uh, what I'd like to know is, when was the first time that you started hacking on stuff together and, and thought, hey, maybe, maybe we could start a company or at least a, a project together? Um, I mean, one thing we did was we convinced
2: somebody's, like, dad or something to let us redo their website um, and just, like, you know, build something, like, some sort of, like, CMS with PHP and charge them way too much money for it. But, like, nobody really knew how to program, and we kind of, like, scraped something together, um, which wasn't really, like, a consumer product. It was more like a swindle. um, (laughs) uh,
1: This was... uh, this wasn't, like, 1995 when nobody knew what websites were, right? Like, you, you were actually hustling people because this was the mid-2000s, and, like, you could build a, a website, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this was, you know, we could kind of build a
2: website. I mean, one could build a website. I, mean, I don't know if we could build a website. Uh, I think it was definitely possible. Uh, but I, in uh, our senior year, we both loved Craigslist. I'll tell you a good story about the microphone after I tell this story. So we both love Craigslist and we wanted to do like a, the first kind of like consumer product we worked on, I think this was our senior year, with like three or four friends, we built this thing called My Campus Post. And the idea was, it was a a classified site for college students and everybody could like verify that they were transacting with somebody else at the college. And so there was this kind of like trust layer baked into it that you wouldn't have if you were using Craigslist. And we had like, launch party for that and Nickram's band played at the launch party and just like all these like flyers that we put everywhere and like like all of our friends were like in all the dorm rooms like shoving flyers under you know every door that they could which was like totally not kosher with the university uh but I think we heard that like the half.com guys did that and we actually we got a lot of people to sign up for that um but the problem was the seasonality of it like you know it's very hard to retain a set of college users on a classified site. Um, but, if, so Craigslist. Ikram and I both love Craigslist. Uh, and we wanted to meet Craig Newmark after college. <laughs> so we, Ikram sent him an email and told him that we had a podcast, which we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, responded to it. And so we flew to uh, San Francisco to meet him and like did no preparation or homework or anything. And we were like, <laughs> we had no equipment, we had no equipment, <laughs> <And> like,
0: <laughs>
2: um, Well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, uh,
2: like, we had these laptops that, like, <laughs> would just, like, overheat and turn off. Um, and so we emailed Craig Newark, and we were like, yeah, can we come interview you? And we met him at some coffee shop on, like, the Twin Peaks, because I guess he lives over there. And we showed up, and it was like... Oh, before we went there, too, we were like, we need a microphone, so we went to like Best Buy and got like, we were looking at microphones and we saw this USB microphone that said like podcaster microphone. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we'll get that one. <laughs> It'll look legit. And we showed up and just like, after, you know, like 15 minutes of hardware failures, we were we finally get into the interview and like Craig Newmark is super pissed off at this point. And then Ikram just starts ask, asking these like rubbish questions that are just like not at all researched. And he was just like, what the fuck is this? it was. Hilarious. Hilarious.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from that inauspicious beginning, uh, so I feel like a lot of people, if they don't know you, and they don't, well, we don't know you either, but <laughs> we've done a lot of research on you, um, and, and they think about Venmo, they're like, okay, two kids from Penn, you guys must have started this like, around this phase. Like It's easy to imagine you were going out for beer, you were splitting pizza, you had to split expenses from that Kmart trip, but you actually did a bunch of stuff after graduation, before Venmo, um, one of which was you worked at an early Y Combinator company. Both of you, you, you guys were like the first two employees at, uh, I think, or first couple employees at I'm In Like With You, which became OMG Pop, which became Draw Something, which became Zynga. Uh, how did you guys, you know, two kids from Philly, get hooked up with a Y Combinator company? Craigslist. <laughs>
2: Nickram saw a job post on Craigslist and was like, oh, these guys, like, this sounds like a cool company. We should move to New York and, like, try to go work with these guys. And so we, like, you know, took a bus up there and met the two founders, you know, like, chatted with them. There was, like, not really a formal interview process. They were just like, yeah, you guys seem smart. Come work for us. <laughs> and then, like, we were totally, like, not qualified for this job for, like, real software engineering. But it was cool. We, we, we like, joined, uh, learned a ton, worked with, like, I mean, that team was incredible. It was like some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, that original team. Um, it was really it was really awesome. But we worked there for a while, and it was like this dating website, and then they pivoted to do casual games,
0: and we were like, ah, that's not really what we signed up for. We're going to go do other stuff. So you were at I'm in Like With You. Uh, Ikram was at Ticket Leap. So Ticket Leap ends up being an important component in the the, the founding of Venmo, or at least the um, as far as I can tell, the initial capital. Can you tell the story of, of how all that went down? Um, well,
2: so Iker and I both had part-time jobs when we started Venmo. Uh, well, we had full-time jobs. Then we started working on Venmo in nights and weekends. Then we kind of like transitioned to part-time as we got a little bit further. And we wanted to get some like advisors who knew how to build a company involved. And so one of those advisors... Was this guy Chris, who is the CEO of TicketLeap? And then there was this guy Sam Lesson, who is a friend of mine, uh, who had both started companies and were like early advisors. Um, After we had kind of like spent many months working part time, getting progress, getting some of our friends using Venmo, they kind of encouraged us oh, you guys should go work on this full time. And then the first kind of investors were Sam and his dad. Uh, and they helped us kind of like find people to put together an early round of financing so we could
1: quit our jobs and go work full-time. And we should say Sam is your current co-founder at Finn, yep. uh, Sam Lesson, who was was he running drop.io at that point? Yeah. Uh, which ended up being I think Facebook's first acquisition? It was either first or like second or third. Um, and uh and and then that let's let's jump ahead in, into Venmo. Um he ends up being super influential to you guys, not just as an investor, but as product feedback and in terms of building the, the newsfeed within Venmo, right? How did that happen? Uh,
2: well, he actually wasn't really involved in the newsfeed part of Venmo. Um, he was more involved in this feature that we had called Trust, which was, it was like friending but more powerful where you could, like, if I trust you on Venmo back in the day... Then I could just take money out of your account without you having. It was like, it was awesome and like highly efficient and like a cool relationship, which obviously got. Yeah, it was like marriage, but without all the uh, you know sort of like legal stuff. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was sweet, but obviously got shut down immediately after (laughs) PayPal acquired us. (laughs) <laughs> but the news feed the news feed came out of like Ikram and I when we started Venmo we had Blackberries and we, were, we would use Venmo instead of text messaging and Blackberry I don't think even had threaded uh, text messages and so like our whole text message screen would just be payments that we were making through Venmo and it was like all this cool shit that we were doing like going to bars and restaurants and concerts and things and
0: we just thought like oh this looks like interesting content we should just make this part of our app and so one thing that we skipped over a little bit is the initial idea for Venmo. Uh, I take it Venmo wasn't, gosh, you know, it would be great if anybody could transfer money to any of their friends at any time right off the bat. Uh, it, it feels like there was a little evolution there. How did it start and how did it get to uh, a social payment app?
2: Yeah, we worked on a lot of different things. Like one of, one of the first things that we did was, this was before uh, Square had their point of sale software. And so one of our friends was starting this yogurt shop like a pink berry and it was called Yogarino. Um, and so like Yogarino needed a point of sale system and we felt like we could build a better point of sale system than anything that existed. Um, so we built this like browser based POS uh, with a USB credit card swiper and we thought maybe we would like do that as a business but we didn't really like the idea of having to go door to door to sell point of sale systems so we decided not to do that. Another thing that we wanted to do was um, make it so you could like, th- if you go to a, um, like a small free concert in a bar, they, they they don't charge for tickets, but then they'll do this thing where they pass the hat. And when you they pass the hat around, everybody kind of like throws in a couple bucks. But if you're a musician, you know like, this is like a super shitty way to make money. And it, if you have a band of like, Five people, you make like maybe seventy bucks, and five people have to split that. And it's really like peanuts. And we thought it would be cool if you could um, just like text money to the band to support them while you're at the concert. If you're just like feeling a track, um, so we, we worked on that for a little while, and that's kind of how we got into like, okay, we should like figure out how to make something where we can send text messages and like charge money. Um, <coughs> that uh, we, we were working on that for a while, and then there was this this day. When Ikram was visiting me in New York and he just didn't have any money on him, he wrote me a check to pay me back. And we were like, this is stupid. Like we should be, we use like all these other apps to do everything else. None of our friends like exchange money with PayPal. It feels like we should be doing that. But if we're not, something is clearly broken. So like, why don't we just go solve this problem that we are experiencing right now. Um, And that was kind of like the initial idea. Uh, So then we went and kind of like, went back to like find a computer and like do some research and I saw it's because you guys sent me this note about Obopay and we found this company called Obopay <clears throat> looked them up and we we're like oh man Obopay has raised 70 million dollars to do like phone payments this is like we're, we're too we're late <laughs> And mean um, then we looked at their website and it was like all these people in suits and a really shitty website that obviously no one was gonna use. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, yeah, okay, we can compete with Opay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> 70 million ain't nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so so um,
1: you guys have this great slide. You, you end up raising a seed round for Venmo of $1.2 million. And you have this slide in your pitch deck. I assume you had been pitching the idea with um, the, the band payment idea before then. You you cross out. Oh Venmo. yeah, cool. you, you had, you, you had your, your original mission was Venmo <coughs> enables musicians to accept payments for songs, merchandise, and subscriptions via SMS. And then what you guys did is you crossed out a bunch of words in your mission in, in the in the slide deck, and you put instead Venmo enables anyone to accept payments for anything, anytime. And uh, that I think that's just like such a super cool um, like so many startups that that. I've been involved in, and we see is like Rover is a great example. In the beginning, Rover was like when you're out of town, when you're on vacation, put your dog with a real family uh, instead of in a kennel. Like great, and that was Rover's first chapter, right? But then we started talking, and we were like, Rover is actually about being the best dog owner that you can be, and there's so much more than that. And like kudos to you guys, like you figured it out, and that kind of unlocked the big vision. How was uh, so? I'm curious, like when you were pitching. Venmo before versus after, like, how did that, how did that change reactions from investors? Uh,
2: one thing I remember about pitching was we pitched this guy and he was like, I only want to invest in home run opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) And Ikram was like, and he was like, like, it doesn't make sense to invest in anything other than, uh, a billion dollar company. And Ikram said to him, well, we're going to make a trillion dollar company. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just, like, laughed at him, and I was like, man, that's not cool. <laughs> um,
1: uh, for, so I remember that <laughs> about funny. For context, Venmo did $17 billion in transaction volume last quarter. So,
2: yeah. you know, pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. So that's not the market cap, but, uh, yeah. So I, it, raising money for Venmo is just, like, uh, it always sucked. <laughs> um, we're we were always like, you know, there was always like some law changing where we needed tons of money immediately or we were like couldn't pay people or we would like be violating some law and be ended up in jail if we didn't have enough money, which is never a good position to be raising money in. Um, so basically anytime we did any sort of financing, like our vesting would get reset and we would get horrible
0: terms and it was just like shitty. <laughs> and, and to walk folks through what that looks like, uh, um, at least what the recorded history of Venmo's fundraising is, is about $1.2 million in sort of an angel seed round um, that, uh, that, that um, uh, Sam invested in um, and that, that some others. And, and then your series A ended up being, I think, $7 million um, and that was led by, was that RRE? No, uh, Excel. 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 So, you know, big first institutional um, venture capital firm investing. And then, uh, you know, at this point, you guys are growing like crazy. Can you talk about growth as it relates to uh, how are you guys making money and how are you dealing with growing so fast, but from my understanding, not not bringing in nearly as much as you were burning on, on how fast you were growing?
2: Well, I mean, Venmo never, while I was there, we never made any money. It was just like, we would just be spending tons of money processing transactions. (laughs) Um, But the idea was, you know, you get enough, you get enough people on there. And then instead of charging people to pay each other, you charge businesses to accept payments from people that have Venmo, uh, which is, it's like the PayPal model. But we were never making money uh, when we, you know, back when I was there. So it was, you know, that was like another challenge with that
0: fundraising situation we always found ourselves in. So Venmo is like inherently viral from the very beginning. Did you ever try and stop growing so fast because the faster you grew, the more users you got, the more engagement you got, the more money you were losing to interchange fees, especially on the credit card side?
2: Uh, well, if I we were to be all that stuff was very intentional. Um, I, I remember that there's this picture of uh, this guy Shreyan, who was their first employee with it, he was holding like this poster uh, uh, South by Southwest that said, you're already on Venmo, you just don't know it yet. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, so the idea of like a dark account is like a great thing if you're trying to grow really quickly. Um,
0: like, what was the other kind of question? Uh, so the faster you grow, the more transactions that happen, the more money you lose.
2: Um, yeah, well, there are definitely people that said that, and we were, like, we were always like, why would you want to go slower? But the we would definitely try to like, we did lots of stuff to um, reduce the spending. And so we would always want like more user growth, but lower cogs. Um, and so early on, we had a lot of people that were doing payments to each other with credit card transactions. And the fee to us for that was something like 3%. Um, and, and users don 't have to pay, and you know we were just like subsidizing all of that um, and so it took a bunch of work to like get a bunch of like, to get a banking partner that would list do ACH transactions at the volume that we were doing, but then that really significantly like reduced our um, unit economics and like the the sort of like cost of processing transactions and so there was like this point where we were just like spending like way too much money across the credit cards and one of our board members was like, why are we spending all this money? We should be doing this through bank payments. We are like, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll reduce the costs. Um, so we, it, it took a bunch of work to kind of like get everything cut over the bank. We killed a bunch of these users that were like from, Sites such as flyertalk.com, which is this like credit card points yeah. hustling, you know, <laughs> underground network, which you know is probably something like this on Reddit right now. It's like all these people that are just trying to like max out their credit cards, and there are some. Uh, so they essentially
1: uh, running yeah. The points. Yeah, through
2: yeah, and there are some people that were like they thought that it was like you know the only users we had were these like credit card users, and we're like no, we'll, we'll switch people on the bank, uh, which we did, um, but. We happened to do that transition like right before we went to raise our Series B, and we've had like three, two or three like down months of growth to like get through this transition of like killing all these uh, crappy users and retaining the good users and getting everyone moving to the bank payments and had like you know growth was picking back up, but it was just like not an opportune time to do this
1: transition. So VC's are now looking at you for your Series B, and they're like. You guys aren't making money. You're losing money on every transaction and you're not growing. Yeah. <laughs> um, which leads into the first acquisition of, of Venmo, great um, But actually, before we get to this, Jenny I, I would be very upset with me if I didn't bring this up. So I, I have to, and now is the right time. Can you tell us a little bit about John Graham, who joined Venmo? I believe he was employee number five. <laughs> yeah,
2: John, uh, when I met. So for those of you, that, I mean, I guess everybody knows who John Gray is.
0: <laughs> so Venom? I I definitely didn't before doing research. <laughs> so, uh,
2: yeah, John Gray, he was on The,
1: the Bachelorette. Well, he famously, famously claimed um, on this season of, of The Bachelorette yeah. to have invented the mobile uh, app for Venmo.
2: Well, no, he created the Venmo iOS
1: app.
2: So, yeah. He, his lawyers just looked at that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not
1: recording, so, yeah. Yeah,
2: no, but, so he, he was on the way. but John Graham, uh, we met him through this guy, Matt Hamilton, and Matt Hamilton is a guy that went to Columbia, who, when Icarim and I were like on the street getting a cup of coffee, or coming back from getting a cup of coffee, and we both had on our Venmo t-shirts, and this guy, Matt Hamilton, sees us and is like, oh, Venmo, I love Venmo, and we're like, yeah, cool, uh, we made Venmo, he's like, what, awesome. Um, so, and we were like, yeah, what's your story? And he was working on uh, some, this thing called Torby, which was like a Airbnb for tour guides type of thing where you could like, you know, have local tours, show you how to do cool stuff. Um, and we were like, yo, you should come work at Venmo. Um, and if you're a software engineer, he's like, well, I'm, wor- I'm working on this other thing, but I have a bunch of friends you should hire. And so he introduced us to John Graham, uh, and this guy Jesse Venter, who was John Graham's freshman year roommate in college. Uh, and those two guys ended up working for us. And he also introduced us to this guy, uh, Julian Connor, who we went to high school with. We hired that guy, then we hired this guy Adamus that Julian went to high school with also. Then we hired uh, Matt Hamilton himself, then we hired Matt Hamilton's co-founder, at Torby, David Fas, and just like all these Columbia kids. And so, Living so a year, deserves a lot of credit for. Well, this no from, uh, Matt Hamilton. This is all man. Matt Hamilton. John Graham comes from Matt Hamilton. So, like from this random encounter on the street, we hired like ten kids from Columbia, um, just because we were wearing Venmo t-shirts. Uh, yeah, so I feel like there's a lesson in there. Are we so, we not call this is. non-traditional hiring stuff. because like nobody would want to. Like nobody knew what Venmo was except for a few people. And, it was not like the type of place you go where it's like all these great engineers you can learn best practices from. It was like a total <laughs> nightmare. What so, do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so. so, we had to okay. be scrappy. <laughs> so, okay, given
1: that, <laughs> yeah. you, you've been scrappy. The series that could be fundraised isn't going well. Um, Samir from Excel is on your board, right? Yep. Um, Excel is also the main VC in a Chicago-based payments company called Bragingery that is, in a lot of ways, the other side of the coin of what you're doing, where where Venmo is working with consumers, uh, that use Braintree is up and coming. This pre Stripe days, uh, where Stripe had just been founded, um, Braintree is the payment processor for merchants on the internet. So it's still to this day, Uber, Airbnb, um, a whole bunch of other you know companies we all know and use uh, process
0: all their payments through Brain3. And for anybody who is using, uh, who's building web apps or um yeah, I guess web apps would be the thing, and and trying to t- accept payments before Stripe, before Braintree, you'd use companies like Authorize.net, you'd like try and cobble together some kind of payment gateway. It was like an unbelievably difficult problem to accept credit cards on, on the web, let alone in, in mobile apps. And so Braintree comes along and it's freaking revolutionary, and now we even have Stripe. It's no wonder it's a $40 billion company. Something crazy. Company, but how, so how did the, I'm,
1: I'm assuming Braintree was not on your guys' radar. No, oh, we, we do Braintree. Uh, okay.
2: We, um, so actually, we were processing credit card payments through First Data on the Yogurino account because <laughs> we took it over <laughs> uh, from the yoga shop because nobody would give us a credit card processing account, uh, so we used that. But then we were You're using Braintree to process ACH payments.
1: Um, and- you were using for people for a long time. getting- To pay out, to pay out out of Venmo, we yeah. were using the Yogarino.
2: No, well, no, we were using the Yogarino account to accept credit card payments, and then we used Braintree to distribute money back out via ACH, and Braintree did that like a little bit early on, and then they kind of shut down, and we were like the last customer, and we would get calls every month to be like, you guys really need to like, get off this ACH thing, we're sunsetting this product, and we're like, we're working on a bank deal, just like, give us like one more month to like figure something out. Uh, and for like, probably like a year, we were just like... So, so they're basically your creditor. Yeah, they were just like, doing all this ACH processing for us. Uh, and it was like, you know, was, so we knew them well, and like, they did like a lot of like nice favors for us to not kill that product while we were like,
1: relying on it. So how did the, how did then the acquisition talks go? I mean, my understanding is that Bill, the CEO of Braintree, was like a huge tamper for you guys and yeah. bought into the vision.
2: Yeah, I mean the, um, uh, Samir just introduced us and was like, you should go talk to the, uh, the Braintree guys. Um, I think you know, it'd be a good conversation. And we kind of like just missed the first meeting and we're like, well, we have first data on the process credit cards. What are we gonna talk to Braintree about? And after we missed that meeting, Samir was like, no, nah, just go talk to Bill. Uh, but so we went and met him and uh, he was talking about how they had all these merchants, but we're interested in like a consumer wallet type of thing. And we had all these customers and wanted to start making money by allowing the customers to pay merchants. Um, and just kind of got into this conversation where it was like, oh, we have this kind of, we're both trying to get to the same place from different sides. Um, maybe we should try to do it together. And this was right around the same time when also we had been trying for like many months to raise a Series B with no success. We're just like running out of money. Um, you know, it was the point where there was like, the only money left that we had had to be kept in escrow in order to like meet, comply with some law in California. Um, and so we were like totally out of money and then, uh, no, there was no investor that wanted to do anything. So we, it was either like shut down the company or sell it. And we had an offer from Groupon for like a million bucks or something shitty like that. Wow. Um, we talked to the guys at Square and they were like, nobody here is actually an engineer. Why would we acquire you guys? I um, see you talk to Facebook, given the same connection. That same it. story in Facebook. Nobody, well, I mean, the Columbia guys all passed the engineering test. Um, uh, <laughs> but not Facebook. But <laughs> no, <laughs> um, Yeah, so, and then Bill was like, yeah, like, you know, how much you guys wanna sell the company for? Let's do it, and he, it was even to the point where, like, we were missing payroll, and he just, like, wired us a bunch of money. Um, before that, before the deal was closed, to meet payroll, because, there was, like, their CFO was trying to, like, get the Venmo books to balance, which, that didn't even happen before
1: PayPal acquired Venmo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. this is I what I assume story was, but, like, this is crazy when you think about it, taking a step back. Like, Bill is basically, Bill Reddy, the, and he's now the COO of PayPal, uh, is basically the only person in the entire startup inventor ecosystem that sees the potential for when Venmo is today, yeah, despite yeah, all the warrants, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Bill Godin, he's, like, he's an amazing
1: dude. I mean, there would be no Venmo without Bill, for sure. Uh, it's, uh,
0: it's great. It, it, so, I, I feel like... Wait, I got one question. How, how'd, you, how'd you land on the, the purchase price of $26.2 million? We have, I'm re- this
2: is a good one. you you never be the first person to throw a number out there. It's just a stupid thing to do. We were, we were talking with these bunch of guys from Braintree and they were like, well, how much money are you guys gonna raise in your Series B? And I think somebody was like, well, we'll probably go raise like 10 million bucks. And then they just kind of like napkined it and we're like, well, if you're gonna raise 10 million dollars, this would be like the post money uh, kind of standard terms. And I think that's how they
0: got to it.
1: Huh. I'm yeah. uh, back to why Bill was a believer. The, we, we alluded to this earlier, but I think it's worth reiterating for, you yeah, know, it's been an hour researching this episode, we aren't deep in fintech, and I think probably most of you aren't deep in fintech, and you guys are the only ones who get to hear this anyway. But um, there really is only one business model that makes sense in the long term, right? And that is PayPal's business model, which is you have. That's pretty bold. Well, <laughs> in, 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 the, in the long term, it's Visa's business, business model, which is also PayPal's business model. Now, PayPal started the same way Venmo did with a consumer wallet, essentially. But you, make, you can't make money by charging consumers, you have to make money by charging merchants. And so, thus, you need a two-sided network effect. You need a lot of consumers, you need a lot of merchants, who are willing to accept this payment, and then you can charge the merchants a fee for using the system. And it's it's crazy that like you guys had one half of the equation, they had the other half of the equation, and and actually I guess there were only, <laughs> getting to the next acquisition of, of Venmo, there were only two people in the whole ecosystem that saw this. There was Bill, and then there was PayPal, right? <laughs> um, because it was less than a year later that the combined entity gets acquired by Guess, right? Yeah, and PayPal will be the only company smart enough to acquire
2: Venmo, for sure. Like, so, uh, I mean, they they get the business model, right? and Like, understand
0: what it takes to kind of, like, get to the point where you can convince merchants to adopt your network. And, and it is worth pointing out, like, it, it sounds, you know, when you're just hearing it for the first time, like, oh, well, they're the only ones smart enough to do this, or, like, they were the only company that could, uh, there was almost a revolt inside of Braintree when they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna buy Venmo. I mean, a lot of employees at Braintree and, and just sort of came out of research were like, wait, that thing is hemorrhaging cash. It's not even like a, a real company, you know, like they're, they're, they're growing so fast. They can't, you know, there's no plan in the future to start making money. Like we we are a payment processor. We make a little bit of money on every transaction. We have a sound business. Like." built up a huge chance with his internal team and internal culture in the direction that, that company was going. And, and I think it's just worth underscoring, like now that everyone uses Venmo and that it's inside a big safe company like PayPal and they're doubling down on Venmo in a huge way, it seems like, you know, it was so logical. But in retrospect, in that time, it really it really didn't seem like it. I mean, it's a huge investment too. I mean, it's probably
2: been like a billion dollars spent on transaction processing fees. Yeah. Big investment, but. I mean, PayPal's a killer business, and it's, you know, Venmo has the same sort
1: of outcomes, Yeah, it's worth it. So I'm curious when the uh, probably you know, within a few months after the acquisition by right, Braintree, diligence starts by PayPal for the second acquisition, how how much time did they spend with you guys? I mean, uh, what's been re- reported at least, and, and it seems in our research, is that like. Braintree is a very nice business within PayPal, and that's nice, but their biggest worry was that like millennials were not using PayPal uh, on the consumer side, and so i imagine there was a pretty big lens trained on you guys. Uh, they kept us pretty, you know, as far as they could from the... <laughs> <laughs> the
0: Braintree guys. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah they didn't want to screw up that deal. Uh, do you, do you know if they were representing, like, when? So, Braintree's over eight hundred million dollars. Like, are they are they pitching Venmo? Do you think to to PayPal? Uh,
2: I, I don't know if they're actively uh, pitching. I'm sure they're like, you know, talking about. I, I wasn't involved in any of the kind of like uh, acquisition talks. I'm sure they talked about like the growth rate. Um, but even like even on the PayPal side, like David Marcus, I'm sure got it. But a lot, I'm sure a lot of the um, the rest of PayPal was also similarly like like we should just. Shut down demo. You know, like why would we already have this? What like we have a product like this, right? So I don't think there was like a ton of um talk on either side about
1: the importance of demo. Um, (laughs) so the acquisition does happen. Um two two things I want to cover before we before we get to acquisition category. Um one, uh the acquisition happens. PayPal also leaves you guys kind of alone, and, and the best uh, example of this, so that some people uh, may be familiar with this, you guys run an ad campaign in early twenty fourteen, uh, right after the acquisition uh, in New York, um, called Lucas uses Venmo. <laughs> that was
2: like,
1: that was during the acquisition. During the acquisition. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about Lucas and and, and his use of Venmo.
2: Yeah, so at that time, uh, Braintree was working with this like hotshot creative agency to do a big rebranding of the company as like super developer focused, the operating system for payments and kind of like up their credibility. Uh, the Stripe is on the scene. Yeah, the Stripe is on the scene. Um, and so they were doing that and then they're, they're like, well, you know, we can have this agency like do some like advertising for the holidays for Venmo. And, you know, their idea was to like, put some ads on Best Buy that said like, split the gift with Venmo or something like that. And I remember just being in our office in New York with Ikram and our creative director, Neil, and just being, everyone was like, man, this is like, We've never spent money on advertising. Like, the thing that we're gonna do is put ads on Best
1: Buy. Like, that's just really boring. I mean, I can't imagine there are many Venmo users who uh, actively shop in Best Buy these days. No, well, maybe that was part of the point. <laughs> to, like, get
2: people that yeah not. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it was like, if we're gonna spend all this money on ads, we should at least do something fun. Like, some sort of, like, ad- out of home, like, billboard type of thing. And we were like, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, and he's like, like, and we just keep it really simple like look at you know Lucas he's like drinking coffee Lucas uses Venmo, and we're like that's Lucas this. is a software engineer. Yeah. Then, right? and, yeah, he was like a DevOps engineer because he was literally drinking coffee yeah. and we're like yeah, that, that's cool And so Neil um, he photo he got Lucas's picture off of the um, and this is all like, it's real time we're so, doing this so he like we're sitting there. It's like one PM. Then the, uh, Neil gets Lucas's photo off of the team page, and he puts a Santa hat on him, like with Photoshop for some reason. Uh, and then like puts this little banner on there that says Lucas uses Venmo, and like that's it. It's just like pure white background. That's like all it is. And then like an hour later, we're in the street, like just showing it to people, and they're all like, "What the fuck is Venmo?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then so we're like, you know, we have to get. Bill to approve of this, and then Bill has to get PayPal to approve of it because it's, uh, they spent over a hundred thousand dollars. So we send it to PayPal, and we're like, "Where's the rest of this? Like, have, like did you forget to like attach some assets?" They're like, "No, that's all."
1: Really...
2: <laughs> so Bill, I like Bill was talking to me. He's like, hey, "Maybe we should like explain what Mo is on here." And I was like, no, man, you have to do it. Like, this is what it is. I'm telling you, it's gonna be awesome. Like, I'll put it on my credit card. And, you guys are not going to do it, but we have to do it like this, because it's going to be awesome. Dude, you are an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so he was like, ah, our, and this is our, like awesome part of it. He's like, well, you know, I don't get it, but I trust you guys. Like, let's do it. Um, and so one of our people called the subway uh, folks on Black Friday and it had inventory during the holidays. And then we did this photo shoot with Lucas He's wearing a Santa hat and has like his Movember mustache that's like not a very full mustache. (laughs) And he's holding a watering can and it's just weird. Uh, And there's all these ads that say, like, and there was a, like when you go into the subway, there was this like huge staircase where there was a big sign above it that just said Lucas takes the stairs, and like that's it, and, like nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, there was like, you yeah, ask people, like, what is, like, who the fuck is Lucas? What's <laughs> And there would be like news articles, like reviled Venmo ads explained. Also, eBay is uh, also
1: part of eBay at this point. So, yeah, like, uh, jump down in here. Big Whitman's <laughs> successor to eBay is probably seeing this.
0: Guys, like, uh, I can't decide if this is like so brilliant or if this is like perfect product market fit lets you mess up everything else. No, well this ad campaign was like... <laughs> no, 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 this, this ad campaign
2: was like really successful. I mean, there were tons of people, like the amount of earned media that we got with this in terms of like Twitter, Facebook shares, Reddit threads, there were like people making... Um, meme generators where you can make your own Lucas ads and like share them with your friends. And it was like crazy. I mean, there was this guy, he, one of our team was down in Puerto Rico for the holidays and he came back and was like, yeah, people in, the t- in my pool in Puerto Rico were talking about Lucas. And it was just like, it was insane. Like the number of people talking about it. And it actually, it, it definitely, we looked at the uh, the lift in signups in New York versus like other cities and it definitely like helped uh, quite a bit actually. So. It worked. I mean, we had a feeling like maybe something like this would sort of happen. It kind of far exceeded expectations. But the main reason we did it was just because we thought it was funny. Um, well, when it, well, and we catch your attention. You know, we get you at like saying like, okay, like I need to go research this thing. Or actually, what you would do is you would ask a friend like, "What is Venmo? Do you know what this thing is?" And that's kind of how it worked. Well, I think uh, that's part of my problem I don't know. A, because it's
1: a great story. Uh, but being like, uh, I think. As we were doing research on, on this episode, one thing we kept hearing from people is that, um, you know, yes, you guys had product market fit, right? But like, it wasn't like, um, even though with all of the twists and turns along the way, it wasn't like overnight, like Venmo just blew up. Like, you guys actually were really scrappy. Like, you were out, like, talk, like when you came up with the Lucas uses memo campaign, like, you guys actually went out on the street and tested that with people. Well, yeah, we tested like, everything on the street. And like, you were always, like, out telling people to use yeah. memo. Um, and I think it's just such a good story, right? Like, same thing happened with Airbnb, right? Like, a year and a half in Airbnb, Brian Chesky decided to live for a year in Airbnbs. You know, like, that yeah. had a big impact on the company. Um, he came to my apartment in New York and photographed it to put the pictures on
0: Airbnb, actually. Wait, you were an Airbnb host in New York during that? Yeah, he came and took photos to like, because he didn't like the photos on my list. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Wait,
0: this is like two pieces of startup lore like intersecting. Like everybody knows the story of like Brian going to New York, like living with some of the early hosts, taking pictures of their apartments for You were one of the early hosts? Yeah. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that was cool. we, like, like camp serving was cool too. I mean, it's like cool, you meet cool people through that. The only question is, why are you not a venture investor now? But <laughs> we'll get back to that later. Um, okay, so the uh, the, the, last, the last thing to cover with before you move on here from Mr. Max is Venmo just basically has continued growing at like twenty percent month after month. Period indefinitely. When, do you remember when the acquisition happened, when the PayPal acquisition happened, what gross transaction volume run rate you guys were
2: at?
1: Uh, probably something like a billion yeah. annually. Um, that's, I, that's what I thought it was, but I, I couldn't get data that far back. Um, yeah, I mean, PayPal just reported earnings last week, and the first slide of their earnings deck was BMO's growth turn. Um And as I alluded to earlier, BMO did $17 billion in gross transaction volume last quarter, which is incredible. And I believe about 10% of PayPal's entire, entire, as a whole, corporate entity transaction volume,
0: which is incredible. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring, Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple.
1: Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired, Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product.
0: Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps
1: most importantly, your security reviews are now real time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence.
0: So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise, and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe, and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to Vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com acquired. All right, let's move on to
1: acquisition category. So... Because you all probably know, <laughs> I guess we don't even need to say how it works. Because you guys all no, know.
0: No, no. I think there's a decent number of people here who are brought by a friend or something. Right, well, girlfriend, dude. All right. So, uh, in the next section of this show, that was like the first section, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> we uh, th- these go faster. Um, we categorize the acquisition. So we basically decide, um, you know, why. And, and this is sort of obvious by the time we get to this point in the episode, but um, sometimes it's trading. Um, And we decide whether this acquisition was people, technology, product, business line, asset, consolidation, or other. And for people who've been listening for a long time, you know that that list just continues to grow. All right, so uh, to me, the differentiation that we make between product and business line is that products uh, get integrated into an existing business and run as a single business. So the same sort of, like you could imagine that uh, a product gets bought by Microsoft and then Microsoft Salesforce goes out and continues to pound the pavement and sell that, that product. Um, uh, a business line on its own is something that completely operates its own engineering to product, to sales, to marketing, kind of as a, a, a business unit. Um, and that to me is what this is, because what we're seeing some really amazing sort of like uh, PayPal is sort of saying, like, yeah, PayPal's the old thing, Venmo's the new thing. And they're, they're starting to replace a lot of the PayPal stuff with Venmo. Um, I mean, it's been five years, and PayPal's operating completely as an independent thing, albeit subsidized by PayPal's balance sheet. But um, I'm, I'm going business line for Venmo.
1: Yes. I'm actually not going to pick a category. I'm gonna, we're doing a lot of firsts tonight. Um, maybe, uh, my memory is not good enough to remember how we classified Instagram. But to me, that's the analogy here, right? Like this is, uh, Venmo is PayPal's Instagram, right? Like there's a, a is essentially the, the same business model. Um, on the merchant side, I would assume at this point the same uh, merchant sales force that is selling to merchants. Um, it is just a different consumer audience uh, that plugs into that on the front end. Okay. Um, so
0: modularizing the back end from the front yeah, end?
1: Yeah, so like the, yeah. The, the merchant side, I would assume is integrated at this point. But the consumer side is completely separate. To me, just like
2: Instagram, Facebook. But unfortunately, we have the expert here. Uh, yeah. The see the categories. Uh, yeah. I, the the business line thing is interesting because Venmo didn't have any business without PayPal. It needed the merchant network, uh, and the reason it kind of like took off was probably the uh, just like some of the product tweaks like. because it was designed for people to use with their friends, you could reduce a lot of friction that PayPal had because it was designed to transact with people you don't know. And so like the product was actually subtly different in a way that made it grow faster. Um, So I think I would say
0: product. Uh, That's an important nuance. And I think one worth thinking about for anyone Uh, Doing a consumer startup is that you can have a higher viral coefficient if it's between uh, like slightly more distant, distantly trusted parties rather than people who already have to know each other intimately because you only know so many people super super intimately.
1: Um, Okay, what would have happened otherwise? I think the most interesting question for me in terms of uh, an alternate history here. I don't think we asked you earlier. Did you guys talk to Stripe at all during the acquisition uh, of uh, No, we should have. was better to have two people trying
2: to buy your company. To- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and they lesson lesson number one. Number yeah, one. <laughs> that's a good, uh, you know, we should have. Uh, no, we didn't talk to Stripe, so if we didn't get acquired by Braintree, we would just, there'd be no memo and you'd probably use some, like, Zelle you know, or something like that. Or, like, you know, Square Cash or... Some something like
1: that. But what's interesting I, so if you it's, it's interesting to imagine a world where if Stripe didn't acquire because I think my sense of braintree was pretty focused on becoming part of PayPal or at least building this. Um, obviously Stripe is very focused on being an independent company. But imagine if Stripe had been. That would be a very powerful combination right now, right? Or or were there things was was do you think Stripe was too developer focused, like um, to build out the real merchant networks to be kind of Virginimo. Uh, I think it would have been
2: uh, in terms of like the the products a good match. I don't know if the financiers would have had the stomach to spend like a billion dollars getting Venmo to the point where there was a big enough network of consumers to be interesting to the merchants. But like in terms of like the, the sort of like the match of the products, it would probably be similar to
0: Braintree. All right, so going into tech themes, I want to use the beginning of this section to do something we haven't done yet in this episode, which is you mentioned Square Cash. We haven't talked a lot about Square, we talked a lot about Venmo, um, but we haven't talked that much about what each of those companies are doing today. And David alluded to something that uh, PayPal has the only business model that wins in the space, it's the same as Visa. I wanna spend a little bit of time sort of unpacking that and, and trying to talk about what each company is doing and what the strategy is and, and trying to pattern match what's succeeded and failed across each. So Square Cash launches So, so let's take a step back. I think we all know Square. Square is how we are selling t-shirts in the back. It's how any merchant, actually internationally, in the world, um, can easily accept payments and and use a point of sale system at their business. So they see that Venmo taking off and saying, oh, we need to be in the peer-to-peer transaction business too, they launched Square Cash, which is now rebranded as the Cash App. They had a value proposition around, uh, you're going to be able to instantly transfer something to someone else which is extremely expensive because you're then paying to deposit quickly in other people's banks instead of the very cheap ACH or the free strategy of just transferring something to somebody's Venmo and letting it sit in their Venmo account. Like that's gotta be the dream scenario where Dave and I both have Venmo, I'm gonna Venmo you, you're gonna decide, "Eh, I'm not gonna transfer that to my bank and so it doesn't cost Venmo anything. And so if there's a way to monetize me, when I'm, it's a closed loop where all the money is just staying in the uh, in between the two of us, that's great. Now, I wanna add a little bit of color to why, David, you were saying the, the only business is sort of the Visa one, the, the PayPal one, and also why you were saying that Stripe and uh, Venmo could be a powerful combination. Imagine you have what Venmo has, which is, two different parties that are transferring money to each other and do so often enough that they're willing to leave money in Venmo. So it doesn't cause Venmo anything to have that a dream scenario where people are moving money around to each other. And most of the time, if they are moving it to their bank account, um, they're doing so in a relatively cheap way with, with ACH. If you also had all the merchants on that same ecosystem where you didn't have to ever have cost of goods sold to transfer money to a bank, then you could really have a business on your hands because what businesses are willing to do is pay the interchange for that transaction. So that's sort of where Venmo is today, is where when you I see mean, pay with customers.
1: Pay you are both Chase or Wells Fargo or what have you, and Visa. Like you are the credit card and your bank. So you're not paying fees to anybody, you're just charging 100% percent gross margin fees to merchants.
0: Right, I mean imagine the high velocity, like uh, I, I use Venmo five, the average I think from their earnings is that people use Venmo uh, on average five times a week who use it. So when the, all those tr- payments are free, there's a 2.9% same as a credit card transaction fee plus 30 cents when you go and pay at a merchant. Now. That's all, that's all sort of free money for, for, ben, for Venmo because they don't have to pay anything to the bank until they decide to settle up once a week or once every two weeks or whenever the, uh, merchants actually move money out of Venmo and into their bank account. So they're not paying per transaction just in one lump sum. So kind of an amazing, like if, if Venmo can take advantage of um, having this payment network and really building it out into a merchant network too, that's, a, that's an unbelievable business model. Yeah, it's PayPal's business model. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't <laughs> talk a lot, but one other point I want to make here is that uh, it's interesting how three times in a row there have been businesses that try to start in peer-to-peer transactions and then don't find a great business there, and then pivot to the multi-sided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. peer-to-you know, uh, commerce like paying for things. And so if you look way back at PayPal when they started, that's why it's called PayPal. It's for people to transfer money to their, to to other people. But like really their business model is you buying stuff online and then taking a a, a cut of you buying stuff online. Um, You look at uh, Square's first business model, great business model, they're just taking a a cut of every transaction, Um, they try and start a second business, that is Square Cash. Square Cash kind of ends up pivoting to where they're really changing to be a bank rather than, hey, you should transfer money to your friends with this cash app. They're really a bank for the underbanked, And we haven't talked a lot about this yet, and there's a whole, and probably follow up to Square episode coming at some point, but and if, if anybody's using the Square Cash app, you'll notice like they're pushing this debit card on you. Well, they get a cut of every transaction in the debit card. And so Square and Venmo are sort of taking very different strategies at this point where Square already has the merchant network. They're now with the Cash app trying to start a business where um, they're able to make money on the debit card side of every time one of their users makes a transaction, they make that, that interchange. Um, and when you look at Venmo, Yet again, what we're seeing after all these years now is lining up the merchant network, which is funny because it's like one of the ideas that you guys had originally, um, but really, uh, um, you know, but really going into that. PayPal has two million merchants already on there. <laughs> so right. So to the extent that that I mean, there's real consolidative power there. Uh, real, what's the terrible word? Synergistic power there. Of, um, including Uber, which is now extending okay. that. I mean, that, that, was, that was always the uh, idea for the business.
2: Like, we knew there was no business of P2P transactions. Like, you don't want to, because you're competing with, tech, like, literally, like, you know, hard, physical cash. And there's no fees on that, unless you maybe consider an ATM fee. And so we never had a plan to, like, monetize the P2P business. It was all just to grow that side of the network, and then once you have leverage, go
1: get the merchants onto the uh, network to actually start making money. Makes sense which I think brings us to great, let's bring home. Um, so for me, I mean, uh, I've already made the analogy, like I think it's the same here. Uh, like this is, to me this is an A for PayPal with a caveat of a future A plus that I think is likely, um, which, is, which is this is the fan technology of Instagram. Like it's PayPal understands this business model better than anyone in the world. It's a fantastic business model with incredible network effects. It's a two-sided network. Um, And they had a major problem, which was that people who were, you know, mobile natives, uh, quote, unquote, or or, uh, didn't grow up using PayPal, weren't using PayPal to transfer money. Um, And Venmo became the way to do that. Uh, And so now it's all under one roof. PayPal has the merchant network on the other side of the transaction to plug into. So I think this is like, uh, without going into depth on the finances here, a no brainer, minimum A. And and, and my caveat on the A plus is just uh, further proving out monetization of Venmo
0: over the coming years, which I have no doubt they will. Well, it's funny. I was just looking up uh, uh, Visa is effectively three uh, PayPal's in market cap. Like Visa should probably be the one to be scared. Visa should probably try and make a go for, for PayPal. Um, and anyway, I mean, that's not greeting, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, David, I'm with you. I mean, I think the, the thing to consider here is like it's still very speculative. Like we're still in the early days because we, we just now are, are starting to see a serious effort in the last two quarters of, I right, think last three quarters of uh, PayPal deciding to push Pay with Venmo uh, to a lot of the merchants on their network. Um, we saw, I think, that the, the um, in the earnings report that 17 percent of people on, on Venmo have now participated in a transaction where uh, they were a monetized user. Which, um, for the majority of people, is is means they're they're paying at uh, at a merchant. Some others are are, um, paying the fee for instant cash out, but I think the majority of that is probably paying merchants. So, um, you know, there's reason to be hopeful, but, um, um, you know, I I think I'm in the same camp as you now, Abe, with a future A+, but I think the variance is high because it's definitely predicated on, you know, right now, still losing a lot of money, uh, still responsible for uh, um, um, a super small percentage of revenue relative to all of PayPal's revenue, and uh, it's you know it's not totally clear yet whether we're going to be paying with with Venmo at it's and it over the place. So Cortina, you're probably biased, but you want to weigh in?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I like that. where um, I mean, there's that like thing with Venmo uh, integration with Uber, where there's like the button in the app, but there's also the I think it's cool that they did the memo card um, because then that wires up any merchant that accepts like credit card payment also as a merchant, which is like far greater than the uh, PayPal merchant network. Um, I don't know if like people will use the memo card, but it is like another way to kind of like instantly cash out, so I can like get the appeal of it. And it's certainly like a good way to make all that uh, balance that's sitting around pretty liquid. Um, so. That's a cool thing that like would've been tough to do if Venmo was independent and PayPal made
1: happen. Cool. Great transition to you are no longer at Venmo. Of course, uh, as we alluded to, you and now started Fin with original angel investor Sam Lesson. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came together. Yeah, so after Venmo,
2: I was kind of doing nothing. And Sam, who sold his company to Facebook, many years ago and was a VP of product that Facebook for a long time had left and was also doing nothing. And when we kind of realized neither of us was working on anything, we thought like, maybe we should work on something together if we can get excited about something. Uh, the sort of like frustration that we ended up uh, sort of like thinking about a lot was your phone, you know, like a lot of times when you're on your phone, you're, you're just like, you end up looking at something that you had no intention of spending time doing because there's all these like, Badges and buzzes and alerts and, and it's designed like a slot machine to like get your attention on some screen where you know you don't look back at the end of your very life and think oh, I, like I wish I looked at more cat photos when I was younger. It's like <clears throat> not <laughs> your phone just like doesn't feel like it's aligned with your goals. Um, so we wanted to build something like kind of like realize the potential of the phone, uh, which is very high because it's connected to all human knowledge and allows you to communicate with any other person in the world at any time. So the sort of delta there is pretty big. Um, and we decided we wanted to build this like idea from science fiction where you have an assistant that's like an AI, you know, kind of like, it's tapped into your stream of consciousness, always listening, augmenting your sort of knowledge of the world, helping you with whatever you need. But realize that the today the best is like Google Assistant or Alexa, probably Google. Um, and it's like not anywhere near as good as having a real assistant. And so we said, like, why don't we build something that like feels like this uh, it, it software from science fiction, but it's actually powered by a combination of people and machines and software on the back end. And it feels like the kind of like AI assistant. And so. That's kind of what we uh, set up to build. It's um, it's called Fin, and people, people kind of use it like you would use a full-time VA or personal assistant, uh, but the sort of advantage is it's it's variable cost. You don't have to spend, you don't have to pay for 40 hours of work every week. You probably don't have a workload that's 40 hours every week, so you pay incrementally by the task. Uh, we can kind of you know, help you out with whatever
0: you need help with so you can focus on what's important. Cool. So, uh, Cortina, I know um, a lot of us are anxious to get our hands on, on Fin and play yeah. around with it. Um, you have a, a car around, Oh, it. you are? <laughs> go for it. Sorry. Um, so Cor- Cortina was generous enough and, and the whole Finn team to uh, uh, create a, a really cool custom deal for us tonight if anybody wants to try it out. So I'll give that to, um, turn that over to him.
2: Yeah, if you go to fin.com slash acquired, there's a, it'll like get you a promo code where there's no, monthly minimum and you get $100 credit to try it out. Uh, so just go to finn.com slash quarter. And
1: in relation to that, did you, uh, do you have a car out? Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, car Um I was doing this uh, event at Berkeley last night for some students there and I mentioned this book that's one of my favorite books. Um, it's Camus and it's, it's a treatise on why you, you, the meaningless of life does not merit suicide. It's ah! called The Myth of Sisyphus. And it's a really good inspirational book that I recommend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know uh, well you don't know. Uh, listen to my know I was a French literature major in college, oh, so brand nice. you're like close to my heart yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um go next I also have a book. Um, that uh, I wanted to do today. I wasn't going to do this originally, but uh, given all the problems, it um, really was called Startup uh, by Jerry Kaplan. It's about building a startup in the 90s, uh, the Go Corporation, which was uh, the original pen computing company even before the Apple loop. And uh, this actually was a recommendation, Bill really recommended this on Twitter, I read it recently, and it's like, such a good read, then, uh, Jerry. I believe was also a philosophy major undergrad. I want to say, anyway, uh, very very well written, and it's about just like the disaster that was building this pen computing company twenty years too early, <laughs> and uh, um, the wreckage that gets left. But like really really fun to read and go a long way. Also just like back romantic- to. How far we have come in terms of building startups. Like not only is it going AWS, but like funding rounds are like giving up like forty percent of the company for only like a million bucks in the beginning. And like
0: <laughs> it's crazy. So Dave, do you know what the difference is between being early and being wrong? <laughs> uh, nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. A- that's a haunting. All right. Um, <laughs> um, keeping my brief, I'm super into computational photography. Uh, I think what uh, Apple and Google and um, companies are doing now that are extending, um, you know, the the notion of a photograph far beyond hey, what was exposed on the film through that glass, and doing all sorts of really creative things to make it. Um, you know, the first step is make the photo actually. Uh, communicate more of the experience, like you were actually being there, and then layers on top of that, which is capture things that our eyes can see, but was previously really difficult to see on film. Um, and I think that uh, um, you know, just with the, the newest iPhone and the newest uh, um, Google Pixel 3, uh, are just like fascinating playgrounds for, for developers. And one of those developers is, uh, is Halide. And uh, um, Sebastian DeWitt is the, one of the, the folks that works there. And he wrote an article on, um, on Halide.cam called the iPhone XS or iPhone XS why it's a whole new camera. And their app includes a thing called Smart Raw, which if you're a nerd about this kind of stuff, like you should definitely go read this. There's fascinating side-by-side comparisons of like, um, hey, I took this in raw with the new iPhone, and then we augmented the raw in this way. And it, it, you know, you can bring out these things in this photograph that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to bring out. And I think the wave that we're in is, is so interesting. And I think this article is written in such a way that it's both um, uh, uh, appeals to like the, the nerdiest of us that are interested in this stuff, but is also written in a way that anybody who's interested in exploring this area is totally, totally digestible. So um, highly recommend that article. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe.
1: So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers.
0: Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that
1: makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds.
0: Yep. If you your company or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com/acquired, that's c r u s o e cloud.com/acquired or click the link in the show notes. All right, acquired listeners. We will see you again in a couple weeks, or I guess you'll hear us again in a couple weeks. For those of you who have already joined the LP program, the first episode is waiting for you on the bonus show. And for those who want to join, you can click the link in the show notes or go to kimberlite.fm slash acquired. That's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-I-T-E dot F-M slash acquired. Thanks.